0: Good morning, Dawson. This is a unique Sunday, to say the least. I know many of you have been watching the weather last night and this morning, and we wanted to err on the side of caution. There's no doubt about that as we've been watching uh, Hurricane Nate and uh, the tropical storm that's coming through right now. And as many churches were canceling, we thought it would be best to be able to uh, minister to you through Technology and through our media here. So this is new for me, needless to say. This is a unique context as I'm here uh, looking into the camera and praying that this message, God's going to speak to you. I don't know how you're going to be seeing this. Maybe it's through an iPad. Maybe it's through an iPhone. Maybe it's on your computer. But we're really thankful for our media team. They're here this morning. And they're making all of this possible behind the scenes so that we, while not physically present with one another, can still gather and recognize that the Holy Spirit is not limited by something like a storm, that he can continue to speak to my heart and to your heart. And more than anything else, that's our prayer this morning. I'm reminded just this weekend we received a thank you note from South Belt Congregation, one of the church members there in Houston. And it's just a reminder, as we've had all of these hurricanes that are coming through and seeing the devastation, not only um, recently, but even even this morning, it's just a reminder that our church is connected to those needs. And as you give to the ministry of Dawson, 25% of those funds go outside of the walls of this church. And as that church member in Houston was writing to us, just saying thank you. Thank you uh, for ministering to our church, to our community, to my family. And so it gives me an opportunity on behalf of that congregation just to say thank you. Because it's it's through your generous giving that we're able to be the hands and the feet, the body of Christ to those uh, not only in the Birmingham area, but outside of Birmingham too. We also are gathering and thinking this morning about the devastation and the grief that people are feeling and experiencing this morning, as you saw this past Sunday with the shooting there in Las Vegas. And it's just hard to get your mind around. It's certainly been something that has been very personal to me as I watch that and just see the, the tears upon family members and friends that went through something that is just so absolutely horrific. So I think it would be wise for us as a congregation here in Birmingham, here at Dawson, to be able to just pause and to recognize this past Sunday, there were 59 individuals that went to a fun concert. And the last thing that they had in their mind was the danger that uh, was looming upon them to have over 500 that were injured. So I just want to lead us in a prayer, praying for those whose lives have uh, been lost family members uh, these are mothers and fathers these are sons and daughters these are brothers and sisters these are co-workers and so in these kinds of times it's it's uh, tempting for us to try to answer all the why questions but this side of heaven there are going to be just things that we are not able to answer. But I tell you what we can do in the midst of tragedy is that we can recognize that our God cares, that our God works all things together for good of those that love Him and are called according to His purpose. And so we're praying that in the midst of tragedy, God would use the body of Christ to come alongside people that are hurting and that we as a church can pray even now. So would you, there in your living room, there at your kitchen, would you just bow your head with me as we pray Uh, specifically for for what happened this last week and the continuing work of the Holy Spirit to bring a peace that only He can provide. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we recognize that this past week there was an unthinkable tragedy that happened there in Las Vegas. We recognize that today, although the news uh, can quickly move on to storms and to what we're facing more locally here, we continue to pray We pray for those families that lost loved ones this past week. We pray for those that are still in the hospital, still recovering from injuries. We pray for counselors, pastors, ministers in the Las Vegas area and beyond that are going to come alongside of families that are absolutely devastated by the tragedy that occurred this past week. We pray recognizing that you work all things together for good. And so even in the midst of unspeakable evil, we pray that your Holy Spirit would work in the life of friends and family members and that you would bring good even in the midst of what we recognize is evil. It's in your name we pray. Amen. We're in a series uh, in Colossians, and so we come now to a a passage in Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 24 through 29, that really speaks to the question of what does a pastor do? You know, in many ways, that's a question that oftentimes get asked in in a variety of settings. Uh, In my previous church, we had a preschool, just like Dawson has a preschool. And one of the things that would happen every year, maybe even every semester, was there would be a group of four-year-olds, three-year-olds that would come into my office and one of the questions I would often ask them is, what do you guys know that a pastor does? It's just going to be an open-ended question. And I would hear all kinds of things. I would hear a uh, pastor prays, a pastor preaches, a pastor marries people. I was one of my uh, boys' uh, baseball coaches. And so oftentimes I would look at four or five-year-olds that were on his team, and they would say, a, a, a pastor coaches a baseball team. And so I would hear all kinds of, of things. But in a lot of ways, it is difficult sometimes to know what, what does a pastor What is a pastor called to do? What is a minister of the gospel called to do? Uh, It's really clear in our passage here as Paul moves in uh, this section of Scripture away from uh, what he has set as really the foundation. So in those opening verses, we've seen that Christ is a sinner and that Jesus is our salvation. He's our hope and that Jesus is our rescue. And now as we come to this place right here, as we're looking at what Jesus Uh, not only does in our midst, but what he calls us to, Paul states really clearly what a minister of the gospel is called to be about and to do. So uh, read with me in Colossians chapter 1, starting in verses 24 through 29. Uh, The Word of God says, Now rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. That is the church. And then in verse 25, it says, Of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to uh, his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ for this I toil struggling with all his energy energy that he powerfully works within me Paul is not the pastor of the church at Colossae He's an apostle. There's a unique calling upon his life that is different than a youth minister's calling, a pastor's calling, a, student, a uh, education minister's calling. All of these callings are unique. But Paul sets into place here in these verses. He gives us a really good encapsulation of what it means to be called by God. Now, I know some of you are already saying, well, I'm not a minister. But all of us, all of us that have professed Christ as our Savior and Lord, we're all called to ministry. We're all called, first and foremost, to salvation. We're all called, secondly, to make disciples. Now, this passage is speaking very specifically to that call to vocational ministry. But you see principles. Uh, You see principles in this passage here that speak to your life, whether you are a homemaker, whether you're retired, whether you're an attorney, whether you are a contractor. This passage that Paul details for us, it, it speaks to that call to the ministry But all of us, be reminded, are called to the ministry. But as we notice here in this passage, as Paul gives in these five sentences, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version, it's five sentences here, but actually in the original language of the New Testament, it's just one long Uh, sentence it's just a run-on sentence it's almost like Paul is carried away as he thinks about his calling to the ministry and he just is is going one after another just these wonderful explorations of what he's called to and what he's called to be and the great energy and the great passion that he has to be a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So there are two principles I want you to see in this passage this morning as you're listening in, in the confines of your home. Maybe you even hear rain outside, maybe it's not raining right now, maybe you hear the wind, maybe you don't. But the truth of God's word, regardless of your context, it, it just remains, it remains the same. And so what we discover in this passage is that a minister is called by God. Uh, notice with me in verse one through verse 24 and 25, excuse me, in chapter one, verses twenty-four through twenty-five. In in that uh, section of Scripture, Paul talks about the stewardship of God. In the original language of the New Testament, that word stewardship is a word that uh, means someone that tends or manages the affairs of a group of, of people. So it's someone who gives oversight. And so let's kind of remind ourselves of what Paul is saying here. God is the head of the church. That's clear, as Paul says here. He calls Christians from his church to serve as ministers. Now that call that God gives as he gives oversight, as he manages the affairs of his body, the church, that call can be to the pastorate, that call at times from within the church or for people to go to foreign fields uh, to be missionaries or student pastors or children's pastors and ministers of music, worship leaders. That call can take a a multitude of of manifestations in, in our world today. But it is important to recognize that while God calls uh, individuals to be vocational ministers, all of us are called. All of us are called to the ministry of the gospel. All of us are called. Now, vocations might be different, but all of us are called to do his ministry and to be empowered by him for the work that he calls us to. Now, Paul is not talking about that broad call here. He's actually talking about a, a more specific call. And I think in a lot of ways, one of the best ways for us to look at this passage is to take a wider lens and to be able to see what Paul says in other places. And so throughout this message, I'm going to kind of remind us of what he said to his protege in the ministry, Timothy, I'm also going to remind us of some of the things that he said to the church at Ephesus that kind of help expand and help fulfill or really flesh out what he's saying here to the church. So in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 through 12, I think you, you see that before you, uh, Paul said it this way, that he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, which is just another word there for pastors and teachers. And then verse 12, he says, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of The fullness of Christ. Again, these two passages taken together remind us that God calls. Now, the church recognizes that call. The church has a responsibility to see that God oftentimes is calling uh, individuals from the church to serve him specifically in vocational ministry. And I'm reminded of the story of St. Augustine. St. Augustine was in the fourth century uh, a young man who was a rhetor- rhetorician I and mean, he was just this gifted public speaker and he taught that and he showed up to a church in Hippo and the priest there or actually it was the bishop there of that area began to preach about the need for more priests and so the way the story goes is as Augustine was there he didn't feel called to vocational ministry but the church looked around and just kind of looked at him and said you're the one And so the way the story goes in history is that Augustine was sitting there listening to the bishop's sermon when that church in Hippo called him to the ministry. Uh, History tells us that he actually begins to weep. The congregation thinks that he wants a higher position than being their pastor, but he weeps because he doesn't want to be a pastor. Now that, I mean, that's an extreme Example of the church seeing what an individual didn't see in him. But most of the time, uh, the call of God is coupled with the recognition of the church. So God is calling an individual from within the church to serve him vocationally. And then the church sees that. And and there's some of you that are watching here that God has placed a call upon your life to, to serve him vocationally. And so maybe you serve him. Uh, here even at Dawson or maybe you have served in your retired minister and you can think back in your life how God called you to the ministry and and it's a beautiful story of your life or maybe you're watching this morning and you've been wrestling what does it mean to be called it is important for you to understand that ultimately God does the calling the church doesn't call a well-meaning mother who, who sees a lot of gifts, and, and her child, uh, she doesn't call. The church doesn't call. It has to be God. Paul would say it this way when he was talking to his protege in the ministry. He would say in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, I thank him, talking about God, who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful. And then Paul says, appointing me to his service. So Paul's ministry, that apostolic ministry, it wasn't the family business it, it, he, does, he never mentions his educational background. He never talks about being trained in the best Jewish and Greco-Roman centers. There's no mention of his connections and the Jewish religious thought and system of the day. His call rests 100% upon God's call upon his life. So it's not enough for the church to see that person's got really, really good people skills. Or that person really loves God's word. Maybe that person's called to the ministry. Actually, the call to vocational ministry it is a compulsion to share. It's a drive. It's something that ultimately is a passion that must be followed to be faithful to God. Oftentimes people ask me, "David, when did you know that God called you into the ministry?" And oftentimes that question is accompanied with what did you feel like you were called to do before you felt called to the ministry? And for me, it, it, was, it was a very specific place that I can go back and, and look at. I had a football coach when I was really young, junior high, who was just a tremendous example to me. And if you would have asked me at the age of 15 or 16 what I wanted to do with my life, well, I wanted to, I wanted to give my life as Coach Greg Segal had done. He, he was a Christian man who loved sports, loved his students, and he made a huge impact upon my life. Um, it's just a little side here, but I do thank God for, for coaches, and I thank God for the influence of coaches. I think it was Billy Graham that said, a coach in one year will have more influence on more people than most individuals have in the course of their life. So a coach in one year, has more impact and and more breadth of influence than oftentimes a normal person would have in the entirety of their life. And that was true for me. I saw uh, Jesus, his example. I saw his love. I saw all of that through this coach's life. And so if you would have asked me, 16, what do you want to do with your life? As as best I could have formulated that, I, I wanted to be a coach. I wanted to be a teacher. And I remember very vividly, I was getting ready for two-a-days, Clinton, Mississippi. I would run up to the YMCA. I would run home. And uh, it wasn't really because I was trying to get fit. It's just I didn't have a way to get up there. So I had to just run up there. And it was just a July, hot Mississippi day. And I was running home from the Y after working out. And I stopped running. And I didn't hear a voice from the sky, I didn't look up into the clouds and see the clouds rearranged to give me this kind of message. But there was an undeniable impression that God had called me to serve him. He, he had called me to the ministry. Now the only ministry I understood was, was the call to youth ministry. Again, like simultaneous to that youth, that coach's influence in my life. I had a youth minister that was like a father figure to me. For those previous three years. And so I stopped running. And the impression that I felt. that is just real. as me touching this table right now. Was that God was calling me to do what Harvey did. And Harvey was my youth minister. So I felt that impression. I started running. And to be honest with you. I've never looked back. I mean it, it was that clear to me. That God had, had called me to serve him called me to ministry. Now that ministry has been refined as I went to college. It's been refined as I went to seminary and it's refined even as I serve churches. But that original compulsion, that drive, that passion that I, I could do nothing else ha- has been this, this beacon for me. It's been this foundation outside of my call to salvation. That call to ministry has been that clear. Now, listen, that's descriptive of my call. It's not prescriptive to you. Uh, Oftentimes, I listen to people talking about their call to ministry, and it's gradual, it's subtle, it's over time. It's this mixture of their passion for the Word. It's friends that see things in them. It's their church giving them opportunities. And and that's good. I mean, there's no right way to be called. It is God doing the calling through your specific situations. And, And there's some of you that are watching here, And it very well may be that it's not thousands of you or hundreds of you that God is impressing upon, but some of you have been wrestling with a call to vocational ministry. And you have before you, as you're a college student or a young adult, you have career aspirations before you, but there's something about that call that you just cannot get past. There's something, just this restlessness. And oftentimes God uses that just to pull you and to call you to vocational ministry. And so your story, oftentimes maybe not it's, it's not going to be my story and doesn't need to be my story. But if you were to talk to any person that's called here as a minister of the gospel on the staff of Dawson, you would hear different stories. But what you would hear as a reoccurring theme is this drive and this passion to serve him and to be called to, to the ministry there. So if you're listening... And you're watching this and you're in your kitchen or you're at home. I-, I pray that you would, if you feel this sense of calling to the ministry, that you would pursue this calling. And one of the ways to pursue that is to pray, God, am I, am I hearing you right here? Maybe to also just to seek wise counsel, to be able to listen to others and to be able to think to yourself, uh, is God really calling me to this? Uh, to be able to maybe seek one of our ministers out. And to be able to have coffee with them or to have lunch with them. And that would just be that next step there. Uh, but more than we discover here in this passage that a minister is called by God, we also discover here, and it's just two points this morning, that a minister is called to a ministry of proclamation. And so if you look at your copy of God's Word in verses 25 through 29, we notice just three subpoints here. And we'll just list them off really quickly here. But there is a specific task of our calling. So I, as your pastor, this is maybe a good time to talk about this. This is my fifth or sixth Sunday with you. Just to be able to say, what what is my role before you? And as you're there in your home and you're listening to this, it's just a good opportunity for me to look you straight in the eyes uh, through your cell phone, through your iPad, through your computer and say that it is a tremendous honor for me to get to do these things that Paul outlines in this passage here. So if you look... In uh, verses 25 through 29, Paul talks about the task of his calling, and, and in turn, the task of our calling. He says in verse 25 to make the word of God fully known, and in verse 28 he says, "Him we proclaim." In verse 28 again, he says, "Warning everyone." Verse 29, teaching everyone. So the task of my calling to you as your shepherd, as your pastor is a task of proclamation. Now, that includes teaching, but that also includes warning. Now, we're going to talk more about that next week because Paul goes into greater detail about what are some of the ways that a shepherd or a pastor is called to warn people from the wrong way. And But ultimately, as you look at these verses, it's very simple that my call before you and the call of our ministry staff are to proclaim God's Word, to make it fully known, to proclaim Christ. Uh, that leads us to the, to the second point under this, uh, this point here, the, the subject of our calling. Not only do we see the task of our calling, but in verses 27 through 28, we see the subject. Again, in your copy of God's Word, it says in verse 27, this mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Then it says in verse 28, Him we proclaim. So we're called to preach Christ, that our messages are intended to be gospel-centered messages. In verse 27, we have that word that Paul introduces, which is mystery. And oftentimes we see that in our English translations. And we think like an Agatha Christie novel, or we think a Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, like a Sherlock Holmes mystery. But that's, that's not what Paul's talking about here. When Paul talks about mystery, he talks about the mystery of how God is bringing Jews and Gentiles together into one family. He's talking about the mystery that seemed to be veiled in the Old Testament of how God would keep his promises that he made to Abram in chapter 12 of the book of Genesis. You remember that promise? He said, I'm going to make you a great nation. And through you, Israel, Abram, as you're the dad, uh, all the nations are going to be blessed. Well, we read the Old Testament and we see that this isn't really coming to fruition. We see that there's a lot of disobedience. There's exile. How are all the nations going to be blessed through Israel? Well, what we discover through Paul's lifetime and through his teaching and the ministry of Jesus is that Jesus is the true Israel. And that Jesus, through his death, burial, and his resurrection, he brings about that blessing to all the nations. And so this is the mystery that's being unveiled uh, before Paul's eyes as he's preaching this message, how uh, Jewish backgrounds and ethnicities and religious backgrounds and Gentiles are coming into one family. And this is the great ministry that Paul has here. And it really leads to my calling or any minister's calling. Uh, he says it this way when he's talking to his protege in the ministry, Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2 you'll see it on the screen there. It says, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. So my calling as a shepherd is certainly to God, it's certainly to lead, it's certainly to care, it's certainly to know. In a church like Dawson, oftentimes that that occurs with me caring and sharing and loving and investing in a tremendous ministry staff that we have here. Uh, I wish, and over time I'll know, I know more people's names today than I did last week and the prior week. But there's still so long that I have to go to be able to really know this congregation. But this congregation can be known and poured into by great ministers of the gospel who I have the great joy to work alongside of, but also to pray for, to pour into, to disciple And so my heartbeat as I stand before you or sit in the stool before you is to ultimately say I value being able to pour into our ministry staff, to be able to support them, to care for them, to lead them, to shepherd them, to pastor them as they pour individually into you. I can't do that for a church the size of Dawson, and nor would you expect me to do that. But one thing that I can do and one thing that I feel that I'm ultimately going to be responsible to the Lord for is to be able to say to the Lord that the spiritual diet of the congregation of Dawson was cared for, intended to by me. You know, when you think of the image of a shepherd, a shepherd cares for the sheep. He tends the sheep, leads the sheep, but ultimately he feeds the sheep. And so as I sit before you and as I, and I think about my responsibility, my ultimate responsibility is to feed you the life-giving, spirit-inspired word. The, the nutrients that grow a healthy congregation are not things that I can provide you in my wisdom. They're, they're not in my insight. They're not in my background. They're not in my study. They're ultimately the Lord's menu of his word. And the great privilege that I have is week in and week out to be able to teach God's word and to commit to you that I value the preaching of God's word and faithfully preparing messages that are rooted in the inspired word of God. And so, week in and week out, I pray to guard my heart so that I can stand under the authority of the word and that I can be shaped by the word and preach out of the overflow. Of Christ in me. So that means that I'm not first and foremost intending to be an expert in cultural analysis. I'm not first and foremost uh, coming to you to say, hey, I'm going to be an expert in systems operations or leadership and development. All of those things are really good and they're vitally important. But I pray that my greatest love uh, as your pastor is hearing from God through His Word And then ultimately delivering that life-changing message to you. This was Paul's passion. This is my passion. This is our passion as a congregation. So when we think a minister is called to a ministry of proclamation, we recognize the task of our calling. We recognize the subject of our calling. And then finally this morning, we recognize the purpose of our calling. So when you look in verse 28, he's talking about his ministry of proclaiming Christ The mystery of Jews and Gentiles being brought together. What's the purpose of that? It's not just so we can fill our mind with Bible trivia. Ultimately, it's to present everyone mature in Christ. That word mature in the original language in the New Testament, it's really difficult to get the essence of it. So sometimes you, you might have a Bible that says perfect in Christ. You might have a Bible that says fully mature in Christ. Because perfect isn't the best translation, nor is mature. It's kind of too soft to fully mature. Uh, One way to think about it is the way he talks about the purpose when he's writing to the church in Ephesus. And again, going back to that passage in Ephesians chapter 4, he says that shepherds and teachers, their purpose isn't to do the work of the ministry, but to equip the saints for the work of ministry. What? For building up the body of Christ. So I have to think in images. I have to think in pictures. And so when I think of what it means to be mature in Christ, I think about building up spiritual muscles, uh, being founded and rooted in something that no matter what comes your way in life, no matter what comes your way in work, that you're grounded in something that's deep. No matter how strong the winds are, no matter how ominous the waves are of life, no matter what you're facing financially, no matter what you're facing emotionally, that you're rooted in something. That's the purpose of my calling, to be able to, through the power of God, through His Word, through the Spirit, to ultimately uh, equip us to have spiritual muscles, to be rooted in something that's deeper than ourselves. I remembered after Katrina, and I hate to always go back to, I I promise you I won't every time we have bad weather outside. I'm not going to always tell Katrina stories, but I I can't help but to remember the coastline there in Pascagoula when all of the homes were washed away. I mean, many of them were just a, a shell of what was there before. Many of them were just a foundation that was left, and everything was built back Well, heavens knows that they were built back higher and they were built back stronger. Why? So when the next Katrina came through, when when the Hurricane Nate comes through, that it doesn't doesn't rock those homes, that they're planted in something that's deep and and they're not uh, taken into the ocean through the storm surge. And I think in many ways that, that we're living in an anchorless world, an anchorless world. We live in days where, and maybe you feel this, maybe you're at home and you've recognized this, that there's confusion and there's chaos around so many things that used to be anchored in our society. Have you thought about this? They're floating around now in, in the sea of our world. Uh, now, uh, our sexual identity is anchorless. It's floating around. Gender is fluid. It's just floating around in our society same sex marriage just floating around these foundational these were foundational pillars of our society and now they're just floating around and it just seems to be anchorless and what was agreed upon by judeo christian values for thousands of years what had been a truth for thousands of years now it's open to interpretations open to my perspective and there are many of you that are watching this and you feel as if this is just overwhelming. It just feels as if the chaos and the confusion of our society, is blowing you. And you're thinking to yourself, well, how do I respond to this in my workplace? How do I respond to this with my children and my grandchildren? What, what do we do? Well, one role, one role that I have, one role that our church leadership has, one role that Uh, ministers of the gospel have or Sunday after Sunday personal conversation after personal conversation discipleship group after discipleship group is to feed you the word of God so that you would be equipped to be salt and light in your workplace in your home in your neighborhood, in an increasingly anchorless world. We need men and women, teenagers, young children, college students, singles, widows, any and everyone to be anchored in something that is deeper than themselves. And this is what the word of God is. This is why Paul has so much passion when he's talking about this. It's because ultimately he recognizes that I am planted in something that is more substantial than myself. So it's it's my privilege Sunday after Sunday to sit under his word to see his spirit through his word, call people to salvation, call people to the ministry of the gospel, call marriages to be restored, call order to the confusion and to the chaos of wrong beliefs in our society. And Dawson, as a family of faith, this church will give God the glory for the things that he has done. As we have in the past, we're going to give God glory for the great things he has done and the great things that he will do. So my question to you as a person, is God calling you? Well, the answer is yes. The answer is yes. You don't have to pray about this. If you're you're listening to this and you're not a believer, I can assure you he is calling you right now to salvation. He is calling you to put your trust in him as your Savior and as your Lord. Has there ever been a time in your life where you've said yes to the gospel of Jesus Christ? Has there ever been a time in life where you've admitted that you're a sinner, that you've believed in the finished work of the gospel, and that you've confessed with your mouth, you've believed in your heart, that God raised his son from the dead? Well, if if you would do that, if you would admit, if you would believe, if you would confess that today is the day of your salvation, and you can do that even as you're watching right now. You could pray that prayer. And if you are here and you're watching and you want to talk to someone, uh, you, can, you can send a message to us. Even through Facebook, you can call us at the church office and we would love to have a conversation to follow up of how you can take those first steps to hearing the call of salvation. Now, there are many of you that are watching this and you know without a shadow of a doubt that you have said yes to the call of salvation. But you recognize that even if you're not called to vocational ministry, I know many of you, if not the majority of you, are not called to be quote-unquote vocational pastors, but you are called to the ministry of the gospel. And whether you are a carpenter, whether you are a teacher, whether you are a homemaker, no matter what your vocation is, your ministry is a calling to make disciples. And so my question to you is, are, are you planted, rooted in the anchored word of God? Do you recognize that in your world and in my world, we need something that is solid, What are you putting your hope in? Are you fitting yourself into the Word? Are you standing over the Word with your wisdom? May today be a day that we anchor ourselves anew to the unchanging, unshakable Word of God. I know it's been an odd Sunday, but, but thank you for watching. And I pray even now that God would speak to your heart as we've listened to Him through His Word. Can I pray for you? Can I pray for your family now? Let's pray. Gracious Lord, I thank you for the great privilege of anchoring ourselves in something that is the unshakable truth of God's word. We thank you that you call all of us to salvation. I pray for that person today that has never trusted you as Lord and Savior. I pray for that eight-year-old who's watching with his mom and dad I pray that they would be gospel-centered conversations, even as they put the iPad down. I pray for that teenager that walked an aisle, maybe was even baptized, but recognizes that really they've never truly trusted you as Savior and Lord. I pray that as they go back to their room, even now, that you would draw them through the power of your spirit to consider the claims of Christ. I pray for that teenager or that college student that has been wrestling with the call to the ministry, to vocational, to be a missionary, to be a student minister, to be a pastor. I pray that you would bring people around that person even now to give them clarity and that your Holy Spirit would speak so clearly. I pray that you would allow us to see that no matter what our vocation is, That you're calling us to be ministers, to be salt and light in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in our communities. And to do that, we have to rub against, we have to be energized by this power source, the Word of God. So may we as a church continue to be planted in what truly anchors us. That's your Word. And may we continue to follow you and to praise you for the wonderful things that you do. It's in your name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you. We pray that you have a safe and a wonderful rest of your Sunday. We look forward to seeing many of you here on Wednesday and back here in our sanctuary next Sunday. May God use you this week and as we always end, may the Lord bless you, may the Lord keep you, may the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord this week turn his face to you and give you peace. God bless.